Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. We have another uh, exclusive interview, and we're super excited to introduce uh, the one of the masterminds behind the band Falconer, uh, Mr. Stefan Vaynerhall. Um, he is joining us from Sweden today, and uh, we just want to um, uh, say a big thank you to our friend Justin Westmoreland for connecting us on this interview. Uh, he's a, a mutual friend of all of ours and uh, somebody that we have come to know and love quite a bit. So, uh, Justin, thank you for that. Um, Stefan, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm just very fine, and it, it's really fun to do this kind of interview, although the band has been disbanded for uh, almost two years, I think, or two and a half or something. So well, we're still not over it, so we're going to... It's old, but new, so <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just glad to be back. Cool, good, I'm glad. Um, I, I We had mentioned that we were kind of surprised it's taken us this long to get to talk about falconer but uh, i'm glad that we did and um we we got we went back and listened to that original first uh self-titled album um before we get into uh the meat and potatoes of that album um talk, talk to talk to us a little bit about how the band uh how the band formed and came together uh well i <clears throat> i used to play in an old band called Mythotin that was more like a black metal viking uh, kind of music and uh I just grew tired of that and wanted to pretty much continue with the same kind of music, but with real vocals, so to, so to speak. And uh, I mean, I live in a pretty small town, so I didn't know of any metal vocalist that could actually sing. So I just asked around in the local music store and the owner's own son he used to sing at theaters and musicals, and, I mean, Broadway stuff. And... That's not really my, my my kind of tea, but he, he's going to be able to sing on the demo at least. So that's how the ball, ball got started. And uh, I knew that from from the start that my music wasn't really... It didn't sound like I wanted it to sound because I didn't really know how to play heavy metal. And then Matthias on top of that, that didn't know how to sing heavy metal. <laughs> it sounded good, but not like I had hoped for from the beginning, but... Eventually, I just thought that, okay, this is really, really, really good. But does it fit in the metal community? That's and what were, your, what were you listening to at the time where you kind of moved away from the black metal and more into the folky power metal that you wound up doing? Uh, well, Gamma Ray. Was, I was a big fan of Gamma Ray. And uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, Nocturnal Rites, and of course Iron Maiden and Dion, all the good stuff. And I actually, when I heard Matthias sing, I actually gave him a couple of CDs with Accept. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and, funny. And Heaven's Gate. This is the kind of um, vocalist that usually sing in this uh, music. And I don't think he'll ever listen to it because it, <laughs> it didn't make any impact. <laughs> and I'm glad it didn't. I was just I, I, I can't afraid imagine... to stick out a bit too much. So I, I can't imagine him changing his vocal style <laughs> <laughs> to sing like a Bruce Dickinson or or, no, no, or, or no. something like that, but that, I think that's part of the charm of Falconer, of course, yeah, yeah, because of course. It, it does have that distinct uh, sound combined with with vocals that are truly unique in the genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that was the I, I the draw, at least for for myself when I first heard it. I was like, wow, I've never heard anybody sing on a metal album like this before. Mm. It's it's really cool to hear something a little bit more theatrical, I guess would be a good yeah. word for it. But, um, but then with these 
very memorable guitar riffs that like almost every song starts out with a riff that just um, really sucks you right in right away. It was a really, I think a really unique marriage between the, the instrumentation and, and the vocals. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of guys that tried to do heavy metal, although they didn't know how to do it ended up pretty original, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Karsten would soon join the band uh, as your official drummer, and you knew him from from your prior band. Is that is that yeah. how that kind of worked? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we did the demo, me and Matthias, and then as we got a contract with the Metal Blade, uh, I just knew that we can't have a drum machine on the album. Do I know any drummer? Yes, I know one, my good old friend. So, <laughs> so the choice wasn't hard, and I mean people that heard the demo actually thought that it was Kirsten that played the drums on it because I thought of drums as he played them. Mm. I mean, he has shaped my drum thinking or <laughs> whatever you call it. So it was a natural choice. So it was just the, the three of you in the studio yeah. putting this one together? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I think the first and the second album, it was just the three of us and... I remember that I thought it was a bit dreadful in the studio since I had to put down all the rhythm guitars and all the bass. I mean, I was stuck in the sofa for weeks. And Karsten mm-hmm. came in and it was over for four days or something. Right. And then so. it's easy to put the vocals on top, but you had to lay down all that, all, everything yeah. underneath, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I love to be in the studio. Writing songs and recording, that's why I'm into music in the first place. Was the style of the music... Um, something that you always wanted to do, like this was um, this was always your vision for when you started this band. Like th- you wanted to have this kind of um, power metal bass, but with kind of folk elements and a kind of a. a I mean, you mentioned that like you weren't expecting to have a, a more theatrical Broadway style type vocals, but as far as the music goes, was that kind of your vision from the beginning? No, not at all. It's just my kind of playing. I mean, if you listen to Mythotin. I think that most people will hear that it's my music. It's just a bit more aggressive, but it's pretty much the same kind of melodies and the kind of epic signature of it. So when I just do music, it turned out that way. Then, of course, if you use the right kind of drumming for it, it sounds like power metal. If we add blast beats on it, then it's Mithotin instead. Okay. So as you go into the studio to record the album, how did you um, decide to kind of hook up with Andy LaRock and Jacob Hansen, two of the bigger names of, you know, in the, in the studio? I, I, I love both of their work. So when I found out that they had, you know, kind of mastered and kind of mixed this album, I was, I was not only impressed, but happy to hear that because they're two of my absolute favorites. Yeah. Uh, actually, Mithotin re- recorded their second album at uh, Andy's Place. And then um, we moved on. And then I think that I just sent the demo to him. And since his reaction was that positive, and I knew that I loved being in his studio, uh, it was an obvious choice. But it was a bit hard too in the beginning because I knew that I'm not a good guitar player. I can't really put down guitar solos. And then I'm going to sit in front of Andy LaRocque and try to nail my easy guitar part. And he just knows that oh, I'm going to do that in my sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> were, were there songs that um, that you had written like quick, like right away, right at the beginning that just 
popped out easy. And then were there songs that you kind of had to write towards the end to kind of fill out the rest of the album or did it all just kind of all come out all at one time? How, how was the, the song writing process for you? Uh, I think the first song I wrote was Mind Traveler and that was before Falconer actually came to mind. I just did a song that turned out that way and that was like the, the first seed to, uh, to Falconer. And yeah, the, it was the, uh, the intro riff of Mind Traveler. That's the very, very first Falconer thing I ever did. And then it just rolled on with the demo. We retouched a couple of songs from the demo to the to the actual album. And I think that the opening track upon the upon the grave of guilt was written one, maybe two weeks before we entered the studio. Like the last thing, because I thought that we need one more really fast song. Did you realize at the time, being that it was kind of the last piece of the puzzle did you realize that you were going to open the album with it or were you kind of coming up with something to open the album or it just kind of naturally happened that way uh well it's 20 years ago so (laughs) and i know that it's thanks to and laroque that the album started with that song because he loved the short drum intro and then the fast paced guitars and so on so a perfect opener he said and i can't really remember if i had another another opinion or any thought about the first song, actually. So, no. I think it was a good choice. That was, yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. first. It was the first song I ever heard by the band, and it just uh, it took me by. I wouldn't say not surprised, but I mean, it just it just grabbed me right away, just because of how I I'm I'm definitely more of a power metal guy. So, like when I hear a song that jumps right out at you right away, yeah. like it's I'm, I'm more likely gonna stay tuned and and listen to the whole thing and so um that that really that really did it for me but um man there are so many memorable songs on this album and and you know you listened to the episode that we did previously where we each picked a song and i thought it was interesting that we each had a had a favorite song that was different from each other but i mean it's hard to argue that i mean any day any one of these songs could be you know a favorite do you have one that is a particular favorite of yours or maybe um it was just your favorite to maybe play live is there something that's just uh just more memorable than than anything else for you uh well the one of the songs that gets the most attention live is mind traveler and it's really boring to play the song itself <laughs> there but, uh, are i have to, that is a song that for some reason, I, and I noticed this in Atlanta when we saw you, it, the, the crowd just eats that song up. They yeah. love, they love that song, and I'll be the first to admit it sounds even better live than on the album. Even if you don't, yeah. you know, it's not your favorite to play, but it seems to really get the crowd going. Yeah, and I mean that riff itself is, I think, it's more memorable than the chorus because the riff is so easy, so it's so easy to sing along or hum along with it. Uh, but apart from that, my perf- personal favorite song, Quest for the Crown, maybe, Royal Galley, which I actually think got really, really good as a uh, acoustic version. I prefer that one, but yeah, the song itself is one of my favorites. Uh, Justin had mentioned to us that he went to the museum that the, the, the ship was in from yeah. the song Royal, Royal Galley. Um, yeah. You want to kind of delve into a little bit of the history of that? Of that yeah. Uh... yeah, I think it was like um, our king back in, um, I 
have been 1628 that had uh, delusions of grandeur and wanted to be as big of a warship as possible, put more guns on it. And um, the constructor, so to speak, said, no, we have to have more weight in the bottom. No, more cannons, more pride. So it actually got too unstable. So as it just sailed out of port, I think maybe 20 minutes out of port, the, sh- uh, the wind just flipped it over because it was <laughs> just too heavy and too, too tall. And they found the ship back in the 50s or 60s, I think. Really well preserved because I don't think there's much, there's much air that uh, in those waters. So, yeah, a fun and tragic story at the same time, so to speak. And so there is actually a museum you can go and see. Yeah. Is it like the entire ship, a portion of the ship? Uh... Uh, I actually don't know how much of the ship you see today is fake, so to speak, but most of it is real. Okay. Uh, and you can see it if you Google, Google Vasa Museum. You see it there and all the cannons and all the, the sculptures and everything. So very big proportion of the ship is actually preserved. And I think it's the best preserved uh, 17th century warship in the world. Wow. wow. And I mean, it, if that ship had, had sunk in the Caribbeans, it would have been nothing left because it's, it's the kind of different kind of water, so to speak. Too warm and too salty and would all just have rotted away. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. You mentioned a crest, uh, a crest, a quest for the crown, which, yeah. um, which was my, my song, the choice that I had made. Um, this is like I think the first song on the album where it really starts out with a more kind of medieval kind of feeling yeah. to it, a folksy kind of feeling, and that I really enjoy that. Um, is that something that you knew from the beginning that you wanted to? have these kind of folk elements kind of uh, sprinkled throughout Falconer's sound? Well, the f- most of the folk elements came pretty natural to me, but the more medieval sounding, I think I stumbled upon a short phrase or something that, oh, this sounds like old England. And then I couldn't really nail the the song itself. And I, I'm actually a bit surprised that you didn't mention one thing in the, in the last um, episode of your uh, show that the verse is pretty much a rip-off from um, Brave Sir Robin. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brave, Brave Sir Robin <laughs> is a total rip-off. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> medieval and everyone thinks it's great, but I think a lot of fans has, uh, <laughs> has called me out on that one. Well, that's why from... that's why we have the interviews so that you, yeah. you guys can fill in, <laughs> I, fill in the gaps for us. I don't know which film it's from. Uh, not Life of Brian, it's uh, one of those movies, at least. Right. Yeah. But that song actually started off the the medieval songs in Falconer's style. We had a couple of more in pretty much the same style. And what was the inspiration for the uh, the bonus track, which I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to try and, and, and pronounce, but I thought it was a very interesting touch because the album as tight as it is it, it really the bonus track provides a nice contrast to to the rest of the to the rest of the album and and what was the inspiration behind that uh i don't know if we might it have been metal blade that wanted a bonus track and we didn't really 
actually at that time I hadn't written upon the grave at all. Um, but actually, Matthias came to think of this old song. I don't know where he had heard it or if he just had the, the note sheets from it. But he came in with it. And I mean, it's 17 verses with the same. Nothing happens in the music, actually. So I had to put in the riff and change the key and tempo and so on to make it interesting. But he brought the song to the band. And maybe this we can do something with. And why we chose a Swedish song. I can't really know. Maybe it just fitted our sound and it's too, might have been a bit too brave to put it on the actual album. Although yeah, I think it's one of the, the most popular songs from the album. Yeah, it's the, I think it provides the perfect bonus track. I don't know that it yeah. fits, and I, and I put that in quotes, like yeah. fits the rest of the album, but it's perfectly placed at, at, at the end oh, as yeah. a bonus track, in my opinion. And it's just, it, it kind of fits the Falconer sound, but it's clearly, not obviously not a falconer song per se, but your, the arrangement was was very very interesting to me, and I that's why I wanted um, to to ask a little bit about that. Yeah. After um after the album was released, I, I, and I just I have a memory of just the the rave reviews that the album got because it was just you know I you mentioned Gamma Ray earlier. I'm a huge Gamma Ray fan myself, but it's just it was power metal needed something a little bit different than the Gamma Rays and the Halloweens. Mm-hmm you know, the, the blind guardians. And, and this really provided that at a time where a lot of bands were kind of doing the same style as, you know, the, the forefathers, if you yeah, will, yeah. when, when you got those reviews, did you say to yourselves, like, this is something we want Did you kind of view it as a long-term project for you yourself and the guys, or did you just kind of ride the momentum after, um, after the good, you know, the positive press? Yeah, I think it was the latter, actually, because we didn't have any plan. We were three guys in the middle of Sweden. We didn't know any other musicians in the big metal community, so to speak. So, okay, we get nine and tens in the magazines. Well, this feels a bit strange. (laughs) And then uh, people want us to start playing live. And hmm, we're not really up for that. And we don't have the guys for it. And Am I going to stand on the stage trying to play those riffs like a rock star? That's not me. <laughs> so a bit awkward when the success came, so to speak. We weren't really prepared for it. and I mean, we just did a fun thing and it turned out really, really good. So Yeah, and, and the band obviously would play some live shows as, as time you know would go on. And obviously, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you, had... you can't really say no to Vakken when you're 23 years old. You had to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You force yourself on stage at that point because yeah, yeah, yeah. when when are you going to have the opportunity to play in front of sixty thousand people? Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't it doesn't happen every day. But the live shows would come. Obviously, you would re- release chapters. Ju- you know, just a year later, and then and then scepter after that, and and the ball would kind of start rolling at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a, a twofold question. You know, you would obviously come over to the United States for the first time. 15 years, you know, later, you know. No, we came over in 2003, actually. That's right. You played it, was it in Ohio or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Cleveland, or? Ohio at yeah. uh, Brave Words, Blood and Knuckles. I was, I was, I was, I was in my third year of, of college or university, whatever you want to call it. So I, I did hear about that. That was the first U.S. show. Yeah. I was not there, but I, I remember that in Cleveland. That was a fest that was around for uh, and this is really for the people that are listening that may not remember that 
particular festival. It was around for, I think, two or three years, and they had other European acts. I, I think if memory serves, I think Eldritch may have played it from Italy at one point or in one of those festivals. There was yeah. a really interesting lineup, but it never – it didn't – hang around for that long and, and for whatever reason. And then I was just a lifelong patron of the Prague Power USA Festival. But what was that first, you know, experience like playing in playing in the middle of the United States? Well, when you come to the States, you feel more <laughs> like a rock star because uh, people take care of you in a different kind of way. I think it's funded in a different way in the States. I mean, when we came to, to Cleveland, we couldn't understand how can they afford to bring all these bands from Europe. There's maybe 500 tickets sold. It can't be a good thing. Right, <laughs> but right. But then we understood that it's funded through fans and uh, stuff like that. And of course, if fans pay for the bands, they take care of the bands in a different kind of way too. And uh, I'm not um, exactly sure how they got it to work, but it was fantastic. And I mean, our show at Prague Power, that's the highlight of a, our career. I think we really, I'm, cl- I'm glad to hear that. It was just perfect. And it felt for once really, really good to be on stage. It felt like a, <laughs> it felt like heaven when otherwise, when we stood on stage, I always felt myself particularly a bit awkward because I never really felt like I belonged on the stage. I belonged in the chair making songs and recording them. Running around playing Bruce Dickens on the stage. Now that's not me. Leave me alone. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the 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 response to that set was um, phenomenal. I, I have to say, and and I, I mean, we're going back to September of 2015 at this point, which was the the when that when that show took place. But you know, it, what what struck me is really kind of interesting was that you, you, you really let, and it was billed as the last Falconer show. So everyone in that crowd kind of knew that this was it for the live, yeah. for the live performance. But you, you, you know, you played, you played, I think 18 songs, if I'm not mistaken, it was just a really full uh, headlining set list where it was almost like going out with a bang type of yeah. thing. How was that set list constructed? And I'm not talking about individual songs, but did you just want to kind of hit stuff, stuff from, all of the Matthias albums, or what exactly was the thought process there? Uh, of course, we played the usual songs. Not that it was usual at all that we played live at all, but <laughs> the songs we used to play with took, of course, and then a couple of tracks that we've never played live, like uh, The Past Still Lives On, for example. We've ne- mm. never played that one live. And <clears throat> I think that we had a small... We asked a bunch of fans which songs they wanted to hear too. And of course, if we have that many songs, we need to have something happening in the middle. So we did three acoustic songs. We've never done that either. And that felt a bit hard to do because it's one thing play the guitar on stage and try to do it right. And then trying to play it with an acoustic guitar, that's even harder and a bit odd because I never play acoustic guitar otherwise. So yeah, some fans requested some songs and some songs we knew that was pretty much going to be quite easy to rehearse for it. Were you able to add more to the set when you found out that you would be going on last? Or was it pretty much, were you able to do what you pretty much had planned? It was more like we had to do more since we were last on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we couldn't just Your do the regular set. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit, we have to do more songs. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Uh, well, it was it was a spectacular, spectacular set. And then obviously in 2020, you would go on to release From a Dying Ember, which has been billed the final uh, piece of the of the Falconer story, if you will, in the sense that it was, you know, the, the final studio album. Uh, another album that was released to absolute rave reviews. I, I guess the question I have for you is, what are your future plans and, and will we be hearing more uh, songs from you? And if not under the Falconer banner, uh, just other things that you may be working on. Uh, yeah, you might hear something. I don't, I can't really say anything about it because <laughs> of course I have written a bunch of songs in like two different kind of genres. And um, one which I tend to spend more time on is, it's a bit hard to, to sell into labels, so to speak. <laughs> it's very electronic kind of music mm. with metal elements. Not like, uh, I mean, Amaranth, for example, they, they use a pretty much basic metal uh, instrumentation, then they pop in a keyboard here and there. But I wanted to break as much as possible from Falconer, so I use drum machines, a lot of synth, uh, synth bass, and then just add guitars on it. And heavy metal so it was almost the opposite of what yeah. Amaranth is doing. Yeah, exactly. And of course, when the Metal Blade, for example, might hear something like that, how are we going to sell this? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I, that... At least I have a ball when I do it. I love to make music and it still feels fresh and so on. And I mean, that's the most important thing. But if we don't get a label, we're going to bring it out in some kind of way in the future. Great. And what's the well, other what's the other project if if you don't mind me asking? It's more like eighties uh, kind of uh, A and R uh, rock metal, uh, a bit sleazy, bad <laughs> love lyrics from the eighties, a lot of chorus. Nice. Music <laughs> yeah, I grew up with. Yeah, it's it sounds like something that would be perfect for uh, the Frontiers label. They yeah, should be putting out a lot especially of especially that, that kind of music. Like there you go. Listening a hundred albums a week. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Um, what are the uh, what are the other guys uh, doing now? Are they, do they have anything that they are planning on releasing now that they are kind of uh, off on their own? Uh, Matthias still works at the theater, uh, singing and performing, not with any band. I think he's done a couple of guest performances on uh, different kind of albums. And the same goes for Jimmy. Guest solos here and, here and there. And I think he's got some kind of collaboration going. Don't know too much about it. Uh, Kashten is, to my knowledge, not doing anything within music at the moment. Uh, our bassist, Magnus, plays with uh, his band uh, Catapult the Smoke. And uh, one more band, I think which I can't remember the name of. It's more like a doom uh, in a doom direction. So none of us is really that active. I mean, we're guys around 45 years old. We have families and we're going getting old and grumpy. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes three of us. Uh, yeah. So no, we, we, we appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure for us because even though the, the chapter or the story may be over, um, the music still seems to resonate with obviously us and, and a lot of the fans of the band that have been kind of following you guys for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. So we, we sincerely appreciate the time. And, um, you know, if you if, if, if any of the new albums uh, should come out, we would love to have you back to kind of discuss the newer projects that you're working on. Yeah. yeah, if I thought that Falconer was a bit out there, the new things are 
even worse, I would say. <laughs> well, listen, it's like I started with it. The, what the allure of Falconer was, at least to me, was the fact that it was so different. And, yeah. you know, there's if I wanted to have somebody clone Halloween, I could listen to any number of bands who I won't name, but I could listen to any <laughs> number of derivative bands. Yeah, yeah. But it was nice to hear something different. So I think that when you have something that is – you know, it's still under the same umbrella, but just a different take on stuff that's already been done. I mm. think that that's where you kind of make your own mark as opposed yeah. to just being considered a, a copy of something that happened, you know, 10 or 15 or 30 years ago yeah. or going back to the Iron Maiden stuff from the <laughs> early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the people that heard the new material said that it doesn't sound like Falconer, but it really sounds like you have made the music. What they mean, I don't know. And... Uh, I must say that I still love what Falconer did. I would probably not have done it exactly the same today, but I love the music. But when you've done it for 20 years, you just have to do something different to still think it's fun, still think that it's something challenging or something new that you can find within music. And therefore, I just felt like I have to take a break and do something completely different. Would would you say... um that there remains a, a possibility that sometime in the future, maybe for like an anniversary or something that the, the guys would come back together and do another show or another album. Or do you think that you're happy with kind of putting Falconer in, in the rearview mirror at this point? <clears throat> well, I can only speak for what I feel today and today I'm done with Falconer, but I mean, there's, there's been bigger bands written contract with their own blood and, you're late they're broken so I, I can't promise more than that you never know what happens in the future but there's certainly no plans for it okay yeah so we'll just say never say never yeah <laughs> I, I like it um seven thank you so much for joining us we we appreciate the time and we uh wish you nothing but continued success in the future thank you very much and i just i just got a uh here I just got a text from Justin and he wanted me to tell you that he said hello. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, great guy. We loved having him here for Christmas, I think five years ago or something. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, thanks again. We'll, uh, we'll send your best to, uh, to the other Justin as, as, as we, you know, I, I shared the same name, but we'll, we'll send our best to the other Justin and we'll catch yeah, you yeah. soon. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye now.